Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I am Bartek. Bartek, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well, actually. Okay. I'm, I'm very content. Uh, had a good sleep. I'm ready to podcast, do mm-hmm. a show, do Pictures Powwow. Did you, did you sleep with a woman, by the way? I don't know. You have to tell me. I'm going to tell you you did. Okay, cool, cool, cool. That's the end of that mystery. <laughs> so we are doing Pictures Power, the show in which we discuss a movie that has come recommended, whether it is from myself, from Bartek, or from you, the listening people. We do have a list of movies that have been recommended by the listening people. Of course, you can easily recommend movies to us on our social medias or our email. You know, uh, email spitandpolished at gmail.com. That's in the description. We'll, we'll plug all that stuff later on as well. But Bartek. Yes. It was my episode last week. That's we right. did Revenge of the Sith. Yes, and, and it was did. yours, the one before that, mm-hmm. in which we did a Bollywood movie, yes. Main Hunna. Yes. So deduction is leaning towards that this is a listening people's choice episode. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I think I said what the movie was at the end of last episode, but you you'll did. have to remind me. Well, Ryan, I'll give you a hand, you fair maiden, you. Of we course, we're watching doing... the, the Handmaid Tales, right? Cool. <laughs> we're doing The Handmaiden, which is recommended by a listening person. From 2016? 2016. So, just to clarify, we are discussing which version, because there's two? Yes, of the two that I know exist, we are watching the theatrical cut. The theatrical cut? Brilliant. Yes, yeah, so we're doing that because, I don't know, it seems like there's a weird mixture of, like... The director says one thing about one cut, but also mainly just this is the more accessible cut. This is a cut more people have a physical copy of or streaming copies of or if you can are, buy from iTunes. If or you stuff. are proud of the fact that you saw it in cinemas, you've probably seen the theatrical cut then. From what I understand, both cuts were released in cinemas. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're just doing theatrical cut. I had seen the theatrical cut before, so I had an understanding of, like, maybe this one. I still haven't seen the extended, so maybe one day. But for this discussion, theatrical cut. Mm. Bartek, are we doing it alone? Uh, no. We actually have the person, the listening person, that recommended this film to us. We said their name at the end of the last episode, and that person is here now. And that person is Stefan Bradley. Hey, hello. It is great to be back on Spit and Polish Presents. Pleasure to have you here. Fun fact, Stefan. Last episode, when I said we were doing a movie suggested by a listening person, I said this movie. Bartek forgot that you had recommended it, but he did remember your essence because he piped up like a small child and said, Oh, one of my friends recommended that. (laughs) And I I said, like, my friend too. Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I remember it happened on, on the group chat that Stefan and I are in. I'm like, oh, yes, I got like three films that time. It was one of the three that but I'm thinking of. I've never heard Bartek so giddy with the fact that he had remembered <laughs> that someone he knows had recommended this movie. Yeah. Unlike all the other times where most of the listening people choices were people I knew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you didn't sound excited for those. You were like, eh. Whatever. My boy did this. Yeah, exactly. So we're doing the handmaiden. You, the handmaiden. You recommended this. Yeah. Um. This. Um. I kind of forgot about this movie, but you know, people were doing like lists of the decade as as they do, and I was listening to a radio show, which is Art Smith on Sin, and they were also doing their 
uh, ones of the decade, and one of them kind of said out, out the, just randomly, oh, The Handmaiden, and I think no, no one else knew what it was. I was like, oh, I remember seeing that. That's a great movie. Then someone else, Heather Ann Campbell, who is a comedian and also a podcaster from How to Just Get Played, yeah, yeah. Um, did like a massive list of like 10 movies of the decade, and Handmaiden was also one, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. I'm, so not, like, I'm not too yeah, surprised. It's... Yep. it's 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 a movie. Let's it's, just say that it's an experience. It's an experience so that uh, we'll be discussing in depth with spoilers. So if the listening people haven't had a chance to watch The Handmaiden, it is something you can grab, watch. The theatrical cut is around two hours twenty four minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so watch that. Come back because it isn't an intricate movie. It's a very good yeah. movie. It's it's one that has a distinct, a uh, couple of distinctive plot twists. So it would be good, worthwhile to not know the spoilers. Exactly. So if you haven't, it's really worth watching and coming back because you know it's one of those ones where it's like yeah. let it unfold for yourself. Like most South Korean movies, <laughs> it's good to just let it approach you and not you know you approach it already knowing who it is well it's not actually based on the south korean story oh i know so, but the south yeah. korean storytelling is very heavily well, that's there. true yep. sarah sarah waters the welsh writer the novel fingersmith yeah um as far as i know they both i mean the, the plot is largely the same in the the novel um you know still plenty of uh Lesbian, lesbian themes. So, yeah, they definitely... What they did is the original was set in Victorian-era Britain. Mm-hmm. And when they adapted this one for the Korean audience, so you're they saying, You're saying it. Welsh and British, but I don't, not Greek. You're saying lesbians. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Well, Sarah Waters is a Welsh writer. Um, She's but, from Wales. Yes, but this is set in the Victorian era. And this new version, The Handmaiden, is set in Korea under Japanese colonial rule in the 30s. Which is great. Mm. Very clever, yeah, very clever way to do it, I think. I, what I found very interesting was I had there come a point in the movie where, usually with period piece movies, you notice that it's in the period that it's in. Yeah. I... And there came a point in which that kind of faded away and I just was like absorbed into it and I wasn't thinking this is a period piece movie in which they're driving the old fashioned cars or they got horses or they got lanterns or they're wearing three piece suits with a pocket watch or whatever like it came a point where that aesthetic and this world and this culture it just kind of absorbed me fully in and I wasn't noticing the artifice of production design Mm. and costuming like you do in a lot of period piece movies even ones that I like that we've covered on the show like Miller's Crossing Yep. That movie, you really do notice this is a film noir, 30s, detective-y, 30s, 20s kind of movie. This one, I just kind of, it just kind of washed away. And I think maybe it's because we're confined yeah. to one location for yeah, a majority and of it. For, and that location is very old-fashioned. Yeah, and especially wealthy people who with artistic sensibilities. So it's like, oh, either this is modern day and they're very fancy or... Or not. And they're on purposely adopting traditional Japanese aesthetic in that location. Yeah. And that's kind of like throwing it back even in a different era in with in, within a movie that's set in a different era from what we're in already. So it's like layer upon layer upon layer. Yeah. So Bartek, let's talk about our histories with this. I have just mentioned that I had seen this before, the theatrical cut. Like Stefan, I had heard things about it. Like you had seen it, but I I hadn't seen it until like a year or two ago. I'd heard things about it. It was on a lot of top ten lists of oh, the twenty sixteen. Yes. Yeah, and I had heard a lot, and I like the director's other films, especially uh, Old Boy is the go to classic one for him. That's the one that is an entry point for a lot of people with this director. But uh, I had seen like two or three other of his movies, so. 
this one was like, oh, I'll get around to it. And then it was on the Australian Netflix, which is no longer on because Australian Netflix fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's like, okay, do you want to have things on there? We've talked about this before, but it's like, there's so many times on this show where it's like, I've on purposely picked a movie that I saw on Netflix in Australia has just announced that it's been recently put on there. And then like maybe a th- three, four weeks later, I'll pick that movie and then be like, it's gone now. What was that? <laughs> what was the witch film? Uh, Witches of Eastwick. Witches of Eastwick. Where it was Eastwick. like new releases and it was like Witches of Eastwick. I'm like, okay. It, and they then literally like five weeks later or like four weeks no, it later. It was like the day or two before we did our episode on it, they took it down. So we had to find it. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. it was like four weeks <laughs> later we did our episode on it and then like two days before it was gone like wiped away i'm like okay so i saw it and i watched it by myself my my now wife she was out of town or somewhere else and i was like i'm gonna watch a movie by myself that's all arty and foreign and lesbian and just like sit down and i didn't know much other than it was like a lesbian love story movie and i was and it's set you know in this time period and it's Mm. this culture so i was like okay and that was it you're talking about your first viewing right yeah Mm. yeah and then I watched it again for this. And I and I noticed things that I didn't really pick up upon the first time or really appreciated a lot of echoes and callbacks and stuff. Mm. So Bartek, what about you? Do you have any history? Uh no, I I think I might have just heard it, you know, through the grapevine, through the bird vine. Uh just uh, this is this unless I'm forgetting, I think this might be the first South Korean film I've seen. Uh and I'd have to say since I am used to Japanese media, the fact that most a lot of the characters in this film were Japanese kind of helped my entry point in a way because I I could remember the names a bit better. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, was so weren't so were there any actual Japanese actors in this? Because from my understanding, they're all from, Korean actors. When I looked at, who went through the ring of when I looked Japanese. At, when I looked at the cast list on Wikipedia, they were all Korean names. Because isn't the point of the movie is they're all Korean, but this one guy wants this Japanese culture that he isn't a part of. I, I the think, uncle, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's just the way you framed it just a moment ago. I was like, wait, Japanese characters? None of them are actually oh, yeah, Japanese. Yeah, but, but I mean, they have like Japanese names and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. the 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 swapping of names and the language swapping around yeah. between the Korean and Japanese. So, so, so I the, had... the Harris is Japanese. The uncle is Korean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He sold Korea out. Is yeah. I'm just saying think. that I could I could actually remember the character's name because I'm, yeah. I'm not so great with Korean names. Yeah, mm. so that was fine with you. So you haven't watched any South Korean things before, huh? I don't think I have. I think maybe in 2012 I did a class where they watched a South Korean film, but I can't remember if I was at that lesson or not, or if I was just at the one where we watched some clips. So I'll ask you this. Are you Bartek interested? got all his culture from Gundam style. <laughs> all his knowledge of Korean culture from Gundam style. Yeah. <laughs> So apparently I was obsessed with that. You were. <laughs> so I don't know. Look at you. He's doing it now. When I was to- Stop dancing. <laughs> <laughs> when I was told about it, I thought it was about like the Gundam franchise. I'm like, oh. Me dude. too. Yeah. Well, there you go. I didn't. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in rural Australia, when I was six, uh, 17 or 18, I didn't know I what think it was Gundam. 2012. Yeah. All right. I swear it came out late. I remember I first heard about it when I was doing my first podcast, which was first year of uni. So are you now interested in checking out other South Korean films? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was always, in, I'm always interested in checking out, you know, films from other cinemas, the cultural cinemas. Fair enough. I think maybe the confusion was that I've seen Cloud Atlas. I'm like, wait, but that wasn't South Korean. It just had South Korean production. Yeah. So, Stefan, you had seen this at some point. Did you see it in the cinema? No. So, um, yeah, just like just like um, you, Ryan, I, there was like hype about the. It was on like top 
top 20 um top movies of 2016 list you know those lists are always fun to watch and one guy he puts handmaiden as the first I'm like oh favorite movie just one that i hadn't actually heard of yeah so i just have to watch it and you know it was on stand which uh, for those outside of australia is basically the uh, australian uh competitor to stand it's streaming um they keep swapping movies every now and then with the Aussie Netflix. So you, yeah. Ryan, you watched it on Netflix. I watched it on Stan. Yeah. And this, I, I presume, I'm pretty sure it was the theatrical version. In fact, I'm almost sure it was. And this version had um, different colored subtitles for the different languages. So I think, if mm. I recall, it was white for Korean and yellow for Japanese. Whereas the version I watched on iTunes or Apple TV, whatever, did not have that color. Mm. So it was, it a wasn't quite as jarring. clear. Yeah. But yeah. it's not too much of a problem for me because i did japanese at school so i can kind of tell when they're speaking japanese i have i uh, the version i watched last night didn't have the different color subs mm. uh but i could tell just yeah. i could tell because yeah. like i've watched media from both so i could just kind of tell the the difference but mm. like if you showed me a clip and made me pick it maybe i couldn't yeah. but like there was a feeling like to, okay to some extent i was the same but i did have a visual indicator of the version i watched had Korean subtitles on top of my English subtitles whenever <sighs> Japanese was spoken. So if I could see Korean words on screen, I knew that, like, oh, Japanese. But also I watch Japanese stuff so I can, you know, hear the nuances and, like, specific words they use. Fair enough. Like when they end a sentence with gozaimasu or something. So this is one of these films from South Korea in which it's, like, a lot of South Korean movies are, like I said, it's very much like you should stay hush-hush on it and just kind of wander in blind and then it kind of is an experience to you. A lot of people saying this about the now Oscar-nominated, hopefully Oscar-winning *Parasites* and a few other ones. Like I mentioned, *Old Boy* is one of those as well by the same director, in which it's like that movie is just a fucking trip, and you should watch it. And if you don't know much about it, that's great. And if you do, still watch it. Like that's one of those. Don't watch the American remake <laughs> by Spike Lee, which sucks. But like. Korea, South Korean movies have this interesting kind of style to them. There's a lot of similar themes explored in the ones that I've watched. A lot of classism and gender politics and kind of a lot of things about like, yeah, the lower class infiltrating the richer class and kind of realizing that, hey, it's not that great being rich either or kind of like, you know, the rich just being oblivious to things going on in the world and... uh or maybe kind of awakening to the real problems of things and lots of that kind of stuff with a real balancing act of tonal shifts. Because this movie is a drama, but I found it pretty funny at times. I don't know about either of you. It is funny. And I must say, um, just, just quickly back to Parasite, which I saw yesterday as well. And yeah, you're right. Um, the class and social um, commentary. Yeah. And I reckon if you called, you could call it The Handmaiden Parasite. And I think it would still work as well yeah it would. um mm, okay. but um yeah it's a good journey it's a it's a it's a funny movie what about you bartek did you find any humor to be had in the there was handmaiden? one there was one scene that i really did find funny which, it was a very dark comedy which, moment which moment it was a moment where one character was trying to hang herself i knew it'd be that moment <laughs> <laughs> the other one let's go oh that was great let's go <laughs> i i loved the tonal shifts in this movie where it's like the comedy can be very abrasive, but it kind of works when it smashes in there because it just feels, I don't know, it just matches. Like, the the con man guy, the Count, 
Yeah. I loved him. I thought he was hilarious, but also <laughs> a sleazy piece of shit that I didn't like. But also I felt bad for him at the end. Like, I was like, oh, I kind of felt bad for him at the same time I didn't. He kind of deserved everything that happened to him, but also he didn't. Like, he was just trying to earn a living too. Like, he was just trying to worm his way he into did have life. A, he did have a moment where he was like, what is wrong with everyone today? Yeah. <laughs> and he had, and he, like, you know, his lo- one of his final lines, if not his final line, was at least I get to die with my cock intact. Yes. <laughs> which is, like, a great way to go out <laughs> and stuff. Or, you know, lots of weird, like, uh, weird moments of horror or, like, scary stuff. Like, any time it was like, don't make me talk about that basement. And you're like, oh, what's down the basement? Is this going to be a loved one situation or what? Like, I loved how, you know, how comical it was of how, like, how how stupid they... To me, they made the... um. Like the main Japanese um, heiress, they made her like so comically stupid in part one yeah, that yeah. it really throws you for a loop once you get into part two. It's like, ah, oh, she's not as dumb as we thought. No, she was actually a manipulative, rotten bitch, <laughs> as described. And that, yeah, that was that was something too. Yeah, there's like... layers of plot twists. Mm. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the, the horror themes uh, to touch on was actually like in the score in part one. Mm. Some of these sounds kind of reminds me of Project Zero Two, also known as Fatal Frame Two, which mm. is a Japanese horror game. And I was like, yeah, this sounds exactly like that game. And then I just went on YouTube and listened to some of the soundtrack. And yeah, it is. So yeah, there is some definitely like, the soundtrack does convey, I think, horror very well. That yeah. and the severed genitalia and jars in the basement also is another, that's not something. And the giant octopus. Mm. That was also something that conveyed horror really nicely. <laughs> the house in general, I think. Yeah. I don't know what it is with South Korean movies, but they, they have these houses in these movies that are just like the best houses and you want to live in them like the house from Parasite and the house from this are just like two houses I want to have and live in but they also <laughs> have creepy things in there and you're like I wouldn't want that in my house but at the same time I kind of do <laughs> and I love that okay Bartek knows this but I've talked about this before I love in a movie like when we did The Shining I love a scene in which we get a house tour and the whole scene is just exposition dump, but it's done in a really fun, interesting way. Where it's like, and over here is where this thing is, and over here is where this thing is, and we get an idea of the layout. Yeah, that's and, always great. And we got that in this movie, and then we got to see it from a different perspective later in the second part, <laughs> which was interesting. Mm. And I, I loved that scene. I loved the maid, the housekeeper, the old bitch. <laughs> I loved her. I loved how she didn't get any real comeuppance, other than she also went crazy along with the heiress over time. But like, she didn't get like a big fuck you moment at the end. She just is like, she'll continue on being a bitch somewhere, I guess. Wait, what happened to her? She she was the the housekeeper chick who tormented her when she was a little girl. Yeah, and then. The heiress being like, and as I got older, you know, I started torment others around me and started making them go crazy like me. And I did the same thing to her. And that's when, like, she slapped her when yeah. she was a younger girl or whatever. And then, like, they have that shot of the, the, the housekeeper getting older and she just has, like, this stony glazed look over her face of just vacantness, just like the heiress. It's like, I've drained her of all life as well. It's mm. like, oh, that's a nice thing to do to someone. <laughs> Because that woman was a fucking bitch. When she's like a little girl and she's telling her to be quiet or else like a giant man will come in and smother you so you don't make any noise. And it's like, oh, what a monster. <laughs> it's like, no light. We're trying to save oil here. <laughs> I think the giant man was a demon. but Yeah, yeah giant. Yeah, but yeah, it was a demon. But it's like, yeah, the giant man would come in and jump you and smother you. He doesn't like obnoxious children. Exactly. So, Bartek, 
Well, I'm not a jo- I'm not a child. You're obnoxious. I'm just, I'm just obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> so Bartek, having not seen this before, Stefan and I had, so we understood the twists and turns of this movie. Mm-hmm. How was it for you when stuff started to shift around and uh, you got to see things from different perspectives, and you had part one, part two, part three? How did it feel? Yeah, after part one, it became. It was a compl- It almost felt like a completely different movie, and I yes. really attached myself to that. I, I love the whole structure of most of the main story happens in the first, what was it, like, 40, 50 minutes. Then most of the rest of the film is just contextualizing all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and even, like, subverting your realizations of, oh, this character was bad all along. Instead, it becomes, oh, this character stopped being bad at some point, but still pretended to be bad, actually. Yeah, and... um. I also loved how the second part recontextualized the Count. Mm. <laughs> like, just him as a whole character. Because yeah. when you start thinking about certain things that you saw in the first part, it really does make you question what his intentions are, or, like, who, who, what's he playing at, you know? Like, all these little things. So, what did you think of the first part, though? Just, like, you know, did you enjoy the slow build-up to it, that gut-punch reveal of, like, rewind? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I wasn't crazy about it, but the the reveal, like, yeah, just, like, amplified my feelings. I'm like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> when she got put in the mental asylum. They did the hug, and then the reverse. I'm like, this is odd. And then they reveal, like, you're going in. I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> and her reaction. You bitch, you run bitch. And then the narration from her is like... And she was always a run bitch. Three yeah. <laughs> runs to her being like a little kid, yeah. suffering life, but with the worst ways. I really, when I first watched it, I was like, I didn't look at the time, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa are we coming towards the end here? Like, this is a great ending for like a regular movie, like oh, the old switcheroo. I was actually playing you all along, and you get put in the institution or whatever. But then the movie's like, no, 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 we're not even halfway through. Yeah, we're, we're here now, and it just, like, rewinds to her being a little kid, the, the heiress being a little kid, and, like, that whole dynamic, and what happened to her auntie, and, like, what actually happened to her auntie, and you're just like, oh, jeez. When I watched it last night, I watched it with my wife and seen it before, and she got clued in right near the end when they run past the tree, and there's the noose hanging off the tree, and she's like, who the hell hung that up there? And then you rewind and you find out who did it and why it's there. Yeah. <laughs> that whole sequence is the comedy moment you were talking about, Bartek. Yeah. And it's like so satisfying. So with this movie, Stefan, we're following at the beginning a low-life criminal. Yeah. <laughs> who's who seems c- kind of clever at first. Like the, <laughs> the the part one kind of, as I kind of brushed on earlier, it makes she seem you know, cunning as well to a certain point, but then you get to part two. Yeah, you basically get like a heist briefing or like him and a whole team are like, all right, here's the plan. Here's the plan. We're auditioning for the plan, <laughs> going over and rehearsing the plan and intercutting between the plan paying off and us rehearsing it. A very similar moment in Parasite happens like that too. Um, so did you like her as a, as a main protagonist character, considering what she's doing is awful? And she slowly, in the, even within the first part, realises it's awful and regrets it. Yeah, um, there is uh, this this bit where um, she's she's talking with the heiress and she's like saying, I don't know if I really want to, to marry him. I'm thinking I like somebody else. And then, you know, she has the opportunity to say, 
oh yeah you shouldn't marry him be with me be with me we've already had sex (laughs) yeah and then she then she slaps her and that you know that bit was um you know obviously it was a chance for her to um, redeem herself in that fact and she did not but to be fair um the heiress is not so great either so you know there's you know lots of complicated layers to her i think which is really cool once you once you um look at both two parts so you know i thought you know she was you know, I thought she was a good character overall. I think she was, uh, you know, v- very fun and cunning. But also, like, kind of with Parasite as well, she's, you know, I guess poor and not very well off. I mean, she can't, she can't, read. can't read. So, you know, you kind of hope it all works out. But then it's like, you know, it's, it's not nice to put people in the, as- in the asylums, you know? No, especially when they don't deserve it and they're yeah. already suffering. And especially early 20th century asylums. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they described the asylum when the flashback, where he's like, they dig holes in the ground and stick you in them and put a lid over them. And that's when the auntie tried to run away and then got stopped <laughs> that she like calmly walked all the way back down and sat down with nothing said. Yeah. Do you want to go to those asylums, Bartek? Oh boy. Where I love when in movies and just in these things, and I know it's probably what it was like at the time, but it's just so funny in movies where they have the just shots of the asylum and you just hear insane laughing yeah. from outside. And you're like, it's like the laughter starts when you get like the, not establishing shot, but like a view of what it looks like from the outside. And you're like, hey, that's when they start laughing. Like yeah. like they're laughing with you. I, I When I first watched it, I had a hard time grasping with her as a character. I enjoyed the playfulness of the tone of her infiltrating this house and doing all of this. But then there comes a certain point where you're going, oh, this is really fucking mean and all that but then that's kind of what the movie wants you to do but so when i first watched it i wasn't expecting this kind of this kind of switch to this what the second part does where it recontextualizes everything and kind of shows even worse elements and even more positive elements and shows their how their love has a stronger bond than you think it did in the first act of the movie the first part of the movie so mm. watching again this time knowing how the relationship turns out and what is actually going on I found it very interesting within the first part what bits they chose to withhold and what bits they didn't, like the whole bathtub scene and how when you first watch in the first part where it cuts off seems like the natural ending point, but then later on it goes on more Mm. and you're like, oh, okay. And it doesn't feel like one of those, we withheld this scene from you for just this reason of showing it later so that we can give you an awe. Like, oh, no, no, there's a, it was a deliberate choice here. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, this is a real puzzle box movie. This is what J.J. Abrams wishes he could do with his mystery box approach to storytelling, <laughs> but he's like, this actually follows through. I think now that I think of it, um, I, I, well, I think maybe when I was watching the first half of the film, I did have, like, little moments in the back of my head where I thought, like, oh, that was a bit, you know bit abrupt ending of a scene mm. so when it did reshow a lot of the scenes and like you know the extra details there was this thing of like ah that was kind of like me realizing that something was up yeah and like odd lines that would come out of nowhere where you're like why where did this character start feeling this out of nowhere like making love to a corpse line like you're like where did that come from where did she when did she start feeling this and then you find out in the other part that it was him who said that to the uncle, the accounts of that to the uncle, if she overheard that. Mm. Um, yeah, this movie has a lot of things going on. It's very, very, very erotic. Indeed. Erotic is putting it lightly. <laughs> it's, but would we say it's gratuitous? Um, not, I mean, not really. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I actually, um, 
when when this was downstairs, I was like, I was telling my girlfriend to watch. She's like, oh, it looks like a horror movie. I hate horror movies. I'm like, um, I mean, it's different to that. And she's like, wow, this is probably the most artistic sex scene I've ever seen. And I was like, yeah, it is. You know, oh, that's which, a, which part did she say that for? Um, well, all of it. There's, there's of a lot it. of it. <laughs> I'm just imagining Especially you sitting like there the with s- your girlfriend, and there's that scene of uh, of the handmaiden just in between her legs, just like sticking out her tongue. Not even fully sticking <laughs> it out. Like it's the most polite sticking out of the tongue, being like, "It's so was it spent splendidly beautiful or whatever that line was." Because mm. there's like two or three of these, and yeah, they're they're all choreographed pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you, Bartek? We've talked on this show a lot including our mystery box show and I don't appreciate masterpieces <laughs> yeah, about yeah. sex scenes, what they're representative of. Are they gratuitous? Do they actually in- Is this affect- art or is this pornography? Is this art? Is this pornography? Does it actually affect the story and the characters? And does it actually emotionally resonate with you? I've talked many times on the show before that a lot of sex scenes in media, I don't actually feel anything for them other than like, hey, that actor got naked like a lot of the time. Mm. But what about you? How did you feel about this movie? Uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was definitely explicit, mm-hmm. but I, I can't bring myself to call it gratuitous. I agree. It's the kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, you know. There's just something about it that's like, yeah, this is, it feels like it's very purposeful. Yeah, that's the way I would put it too. Like, I could see someone saying it's gratuitous, but like, I think, like, honestly, I didn't think it was that gratuitous. I mean, we didn't get that shot where it's like, and now he is a pussy. Like, they didn't really sh- give you a mm. pussy shot. I don't really recollect one. I it's a lot of bums no, and no, tits. We, we got we got pussy's perspective. We pussy get... perspective, <laughs> but not like the actual pussy shot, and uh, that I remember. But like, even if it was, there, it wasn't like as gratuitous as as it is in other movies and other lesbian movies. Mm. This didn't feel like a male director shooting a lesbian scene being like, yeah. It, it wasn't... Oh, this is the scene I want to direct. It, it felt very like... It wasn't male gays. They were female. Well, yeah. In, I mean, yeah, in fairness, all three of us are like straight guys who don't really know what lesbian are we sex all is. Um, I don't know. Are we? Um, (laughs) and, um, who don't really know what lesbian sex is like. So I actually don't know if this would be considered male gaze or not. I heard it's a male director, but I think it's just the way that one looks at how the film is shot in general. It doesn't linger too much on the wrong shots. And for me, it focuses not so much purely on the, the visuals of two naked women scissoring, but more the power dynamic between them and the emotional connection that we, the audience, are having as, and, and them as characters, especially when we get the the second perspective of that first sex scene that they have and you see the it go on cuts, longer yeah. and you see that the heiress is actually quite knowledgeable on these things and we know why. Mm. And, you know, she's the one who's taking charge of what was in the first part the other chick was in charge of. She was the one teaching. Now, we see it again, and it's like, no, 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 the heiress is the one who knows what she's doing here because she's had to do these kind of sexual acts and read about these all the time. So it also adds an extra emotional, tragic, sad element, the fact that this woman is sexually charged because of her sexual and emotional abuse from her uncle yeah, but, who makes but then, her read and act out pornography but then, for a group of men. But then also this twist of, oh, but now it's love. But now it's love. Like, this is a genuine connection. But she's also learned a lot from these perverted things that she's picked up, including at the very end, the the them, you know, sticking the bells... Yeah. up there and that's like from the story she read earlier 
and you're like, ooh, I don't know, like, it's nice when you see it, but when you think about how it was referenced before, you yeah. go, ew. But then also you think about the actual story itself, removing the context of how she was reading it. The actual story she was reading was actually quite beautiful, that one in particular. Yeah, I'd have to rewatch films. Like, a lot of them were gross, <laughs> but that one was like the more sensual one out of the ones she had to read. Mm. Mostly charged and sexually charged, but... uh I didn't think it was like the male gaze was if it was there too heavy in comparison to other directors and scenes we've seen in movies. Well, I feel like the movie does flesh out the two main characters. There was well. flesh. Well, yeah, there was flesh. So, you know, they weren't just objectified because they were characters. They yeah. were characters. But sometimes that can still be the case anyway. Like, uh, Blue is the Warmest Color is a three hour long lesbian epic romance story, but they have like a gratuitous, like, nine-minute-long straight sex scene in which both the actresses said there was just pornography at that point. And when you watch the movie, it is really abruptly just pornography. But you could also argue, but, like... Do you feel like... That's a good night and day comparison. The sex scene stuff in Blue is the Warmest Colour and this, and which one is more male gazy? Do you feel mm. like if you were to, you know, cut... Uh, not to remove, but, like, to keep on its own just the sex... That one sex scene, that extended one and put that into a different film, then it could be gratuitous? Uh, if you, I, like, if the rest of the that film would be, like, building up to this, like, oh, lesbian romance. I guess it's kind of hard to say, because it is such a complex structure film, because you need that first part there, too, because the, the first viewing of that sex scene from The Handmaid's perspective, because that's so emotionally charged and resonant and then when you see it again it's a different kind of emotionally charged and resonance mm. so i don't know it's a bit hard but or i guess to make it even simpler just uploading that onto a pornographic website i mean you <laughs> can do that <laughs> yeah. obviously but um it's artist it's like what is this no pussy shot just pussy pov just just the, the woman has wet face after she's gone licking like that's <laughs> yeah that kind of thing um can we talk about the count and what count we fujiwara what we thought about him Oh, because that actor, he's he's, he's been great. yeah, he's been in a lot. I th I think I've I've seen him in other movies. Yeah, I have um, too. He was he was fucking great. I yeah. loved him even more the second time round. Yeah, and yeah, in, in each part, and um, even even at the very end, he's <laughs> he's still a great character. Even at the very end, even when he's getting his fingers cut off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he goes out in a memorable way. Yeah, he, he does. He, yeah. he he plans it all out. That's his thing. He's 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 a schemer, and even in his death, he he still had the upper hand, even though he had the lower hand in situations leading to that. Lower but he, fingers, yeah, as in quantity, in yeah. quantity, yeah. <laughs> but um, I loved him. I remembered feeling bad for him the first time around at the end, just because I, you know, like he was trying to get something. But then rewatching, like this guy was such a prick. He was, but also like he has mercy because he gives um, the Harris um, his uh, that poison, not um, yeah. not to poison other people, but he's like, okay, if. If, if you want to give mercy on yourself, you can use this and you can kill yourself before you go to the it's basement. Okay. She used it on him, though. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, even he's just like, um, I don't believe um, you should be subjected to that sort of torture. No, exactly. Mm. He he has Does, um... some code of ethics, but they're very loose because he's very much like, I don't regret f putting her in there. In fact, she, I'm going to kill her in there because I know she wouldn't want to be in there. Yeah. And you're like... Okay. Mm. Is, uh, does the South Korean culture also have like this sense of, of pride 
Uh, that like you know you you'd be killing yourself early to save your pride not to be tortured. Honor. Like, yeah. uh, I would say s- from media I've seen, kinda. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's an honor code in a lot of these. Yeah. Cause I guess Japanese would too. So it's uh, from the ones I've seen. It's a lot of honor with honor uh, honor among thieves. That's a different that, kind of honor. But no, yeah. but like that he's, that's what he's kind of going oh, at. But he, like, de- he definitely has. He has that, a very yeah. criminal order of things. Like when he's being very cold at the dinner table uh, at the restaurant and he's like, yeah, she's going to die in there. And he, like, he's very like nonchalant. He doesn't have it with malice. He's just like, that's going to be what it's going to be. And, you know, like he would have split the money with her. I don't have any ifs and or buts that he like wouldn't have split the money with oh, her yeah, like he promised. Yeah, I don't think he would have just kept it all for himself. Even though he did bathe in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I loved that scene at the restaurant where he's like, I'm s- beginning to think that I might sort of kind of slightly like you. <laughs> like, he's just like so, like... Ugh. Even even from the beginning, because the name he uses is Fujiwara. That's the name of, like, this really old clan that's had many famous people throughout history. So it's almost like not only is he pretending to be a count and this high-class guy, he's also using a name with a lot of history behind it. And... When we see the scenes can recontextualize, we recontextualize his scenes as well because we think of him in the first part as like he's just following the plan that her and him agreed upon, and he's being a misogynist asshole who's grabbing at the heiress and kind of pressuring himself onto her. And you're going, eee. and then when uh, when the, the handmaiden and him have that confrontation in what is that a t- the tunnel archway that's like of plants. You know, I'm talking about that scene where he makes her grab his dick. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah that I don't know what out, that, in the outdoors. Yeah, in the outdoors. I don't know what that's called. Like that archway where yeah, they got vines and yeah, grow. Yeah. You know, like I love that. That's probably one of my favorite scenes because you see it recontextualized later from the heiress's point of view, and you know that he's putting on this this yeah. argument for her benefit, like because he had agreed something with her for her benefit and for his. So you have this whole different view of, like, is he actually a sexist, power-mad man guy? Or is he better than the du- than the Duke? Yeah, he's the Duke, the uncle. Well, before we the get... The uncle. To... I don't remember this title. It's it's It becomes pretty clear-cut near the end when he, you know, basically tries to... Rape her? Se- yeah, basically tries yeah. to sexual assault or ra- rape her. And then she poisons him. I mean... Well, she yeah, poisons you... him before that, and then he starts getting... Um, high or like intoxicated on it, and that's when he tries to start to have her. But it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he gave her the drug, he explained that like if you do three drops, you'll pass out. Five drops, you'll Sleep. really be passed out. And, and then there was three drops. Out oh, three cold. drops is you'll fall asleep. Five is pass out. Okay, and then yeah. more, you're dead. And drink the whole thing, you're dead in five minutes. But yeah, like at the end, he's going to try and possess her. But then after that. <laughs> He still has a journey to go on, in which he's like, ah, oh, you know what, I'll kill this guy. Along this with guy me. who's asking all these, like, perverted questions. That's his thing. Yeah. He likes he, hearing. He wants to He wants to appear as if he's a gentleman. He's like, I don't want to tell you any more stories about my wife, you perv. <laughs> but of course, it's, it's, there all, are it's all about his pride. <laughs> but then also, yeah, also, there are no stories to tell because <laughs> it was all a lie. But I also loved with him, too, when he's like, his whole thing about love. Where it's like, you know, love, you know, if I ever have love it, and it leads to my ruin, don't feel pity for me. Like, you just like, I reject love. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's not yeah, a great yeah. thing. Because, of course, our two main characters are embracing love. And you have a guy who's literally against love. That's not going to be a great <laughs> thing to enter into the love story, is it? He's using the institution of marriage for his own gain, not for love. 
No, exactly. And he's very much like, I'm not in it for sex. I'm not in it for your beauty. I'm in it for your money. And that's what I'm in this for, okay? I don't give a shit about you or anything. I'm in it for the money. And, like, I can kind of respect him for that. Like, you know, like, basic level. The man knew what he wanted. And he tried to minimize hurting people. But at the same time, he didn't. He's a lack of empathy. Mm. He's like, I'm just going to kill her in the asylum. Nice guy, though. <laughs> His death is amazing. It is. The fact that in the whole movie we kept seeing those cigarettes in there and we didn't get an explanation for them. How did you feel about that, Bartek, when it finally led up to what those cigarettes were? And like even in the car when he lights car, yeah. up all yeah. three of the other types and he on purposely leaves those two blue ones. And yeah, they open up the window and you know, you kind of You see all the smoke. Y- there's a symbolism out. with the windows. I think all yeah. of, I think all of the, that foreshadowing was a bit subconscious for me. Like every time he pulled out a cigarette, I'm like, there's a purpose behind this, but I don't quite remember I don't, I don't quite know where it's going. And I didn't quite remember it going forward. But then like, yeah, when he was in the car and he left the two, I'm like, hmm. He's making them cough. Is he just trying to troll them in a way? Or but then obviously, yeah. You but. realize he needs to get rid of those bad boys so when he does die, he can use those mercury filled <laughs> ones. <laughs> Like, um... And, like, he when he was trying to kill himself, it was like, he was, like, like trying to get it in his <sighs> mouth. I loved the sound design of that, of, like, flashing back to all those previous images in the movie, and you have the breathing playing over it, and it's very somber and kind of weird and sad, and then when he stops breathing and it kind of fades to black, and you're like, oh, he's gone now, and then they go back mm. to our two main characters. That was his little section of the movie done. Now mm. we're bo- going back to our two. Count Fujiwara story, end. And Duke's story ends as yeah. well. I love the fact that also he, like, <laughs> his whole backstory, like, like him with his family and his relationship with them. Like, I love when he first enters and he just, like, enters the house and he, like, instantly grabs, like, the hairpin out of the, the old lady's hair and, like, unlocks that secret little drawer that's in the stairs. And it's like, you get this through visuals, you're like, oh, I already know who this guy is. Are oh, you talking about during the... The, the very intro scene. The briefing scene. Mm. Yeah, the briefing like, scene when we yeah. first truly meet him proper. And yeah, you just go, just like... enters the room, power, knows everything. Visually, you just know who he is. You, you just know, okay, this is a guy who's in charge of something. He's got a plan. He's got something going on. And I like how he grabbed, like, these little statues and coffee tins and used them as, like... Like, visual representations of them and their plan. <laughs> like, it's just very <laughs> shitty. Um, so this is a romance movie, guys. As well as a lesbian love affair. It's a romance movie. What did we think of the, the, the romance itself? Did we, we did we like the couple? Did we care about each of them and their love towards one another? Did we did we buy it? Did we feel the drama? Did we did we feel the tragedy and the and the happiness? Well, you know, I it's not the fact that I did buy it, as in I, it didn't, I never really... You paid on iTunes, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I rented it. Yeah, it, it didn't take me out of the movie, despite what you, you know, you would think that like a lesbian scene like that would take you out of the movie. But to me, like it didn't. Mm. Um, so to me, like that indicates that, you know, I did buy it because I think it's very effective. It's such, um, such a scene which, you know, um, I mean, I don't think anyone who watches this movie will forget this movie. It's mm. experience for sure. But... You know, um, it wasn't jarring. Um, it all, all the contextualized, contextualization later on. Um, I think it, as a whole, yeah, I definitely bought. It. I thought it was a great romance. It's really good story. Another, 
Um, and similar to Parasite as well, the the class uh, between like a poor and um, an heiress. Yeah. Yeah. Although they're both trapped in that instance. Yeah, yeah they're both <laughs> trapped in there. There was lots of trappings in this movie. Oh, yeah, there was lots <laughs> of bindings. Yeah. What about you, Bartek? How did you feel about the romance and all that? Uh, if we're using the term buying it, I, I feel like the journey of the film is kind of the journey to fully buying it because the first act, uh, that's the one where... You know, it's basically like a heist movie with this, like, conscience thing going on, basically. Um, so you're basically asking questions the whole time. Like, mm. okay, so what are what are true feelings? What's actually going on with the heiress? And then obviously when you get the contextualization from the rest of the film and you actually finally get the extended lesbian sex scene, at that point, you know, you're kind of, you're really buying it at that point. Yeah. When the when the fur when the shortened one happens, it's it's a bit more sudden. Like mm. still believable because there was tension happening between the two. There are a lot of you know long scenes where it's just focusing on what they're looking at. Um. So definitely, not even by the end, but like by the middle. Yeah, I was definitely buying the scene, the romance. Yeah, I think when I first watched it, I bought the romance around the middle too. This time it was a lot earlier because I had seen it before. You knew where it was but, leading. But uh, it was one of those things with romance stuff with over-the-top drama that's within a romance, and this one obviously has it cranked up to 11 because it's, like, weird psychosexual thievery and, like, abuse and all this crazy stuff and lies and top lies. I I enjoyed those low points in their relationship in which it's, like, this person's lying to the other and all that. I actually enjoyed that. In a lot of movies, I just kind of go, okay, like, in romance movies where they have their... Their, their deceit moment or their lying moment or their uh, or Adam betrayal. Sa- Adam Sandler movies where who's like yeah. where the girl pretends to not like him. Yeah. <laughs> then they get and, together at the end. Yeah, and it's just like this I I was engaged with it. I bought their relationship very early on. Once that once they had that like bath scene where she's like filing down her tooth. Mm. That's where I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this is where you kind of click into the romance. And then when the handmaid's looking for lo- like looking forlorn at the count making all those advances and she's getting jealous and she's getting angry and she's like going in the wrong entrance for servants and like throwing her mushrooms on the ground and like storming around the house i'm like yeah i buy it you yeah, know at, I, at, I totally get it at that point it was this kind of thing of like okay is it actually love or is it she's gone a bit attached to her and she wants the whole uh deceit to be as easy on her as possible yeah there was like that little thought in my head even though they had already kissed and you know had some level of sex yeah some sexual advances well i mean they've already done the licking the, the pussy POV, as we've called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But even earlier, I'm talking about, like, in the bathtub yeah. scene, she's, you know, gazing at her oh, well, n- yeah, naked that, that body. Has a, and that has like... a whole thing of, like, you're doing this unnatural, intimate thing. Yeah, exactly. So and It's definitely something like, you know, oh, this is a specific fetish I have, and this is the only thing that does it for me. And there's a nice little action moment, like, nice little piece of physical action and mise-en-scene moment from The Handmaiden when she's talking to the Count, and she, like, flops on his bed, and she's like, oh, you know, like... When they're briefing each other, she's like, oh, she's so naive. You pull on her nipples, blah, blah, blah. But she grabs out the the thimble thing that she used to file down her tooth. And she's like rubbing it and touching it very affectionately and fondly. She's like, she's like, although she's saying this terrible thing, she's her physical action is contradicting that because she's kind of 
retrospective, like, you know, reflecting on this tender moment that they had. And then later we find out it was an even more tender moment because she got in the bathtub with her, you know, and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I bought it. I found it really great. And then at the end when they have, like, the tense scene where one of them has to pretend to be, like, a 1930s guy <laughs> and the other one is, like, you know, and in the background they have all the dudes, like, flicking women's hats up being like, no, that's not her and, like, all of that. I felt the genuine tension and I wanted them to get away with it and I cheered when when the handmaiden called her criminal family in to help them do all this <laughs> stuff and you had, like, them doing the forgery and you had, like, the people in the background, like, going, like, yeah, and all that. <laughs> You felt like this is cheesy in a movie in which we had like a scene in which like a little girl was getting physically abused, emotionally abused by her sexual predator uncle and the and like, you know, showed her a basement in which he cut off genitalia and put him in jars. This is the same movie in which you have people in the background be like, Yeah, crime! We're doing it for love. I have to say, this is a film that I <laughs> I wouldn't put in the leagues of, like, you know, favourite films, but by the end, I was... even No, not even by the end. Like, halfway through, I'm like, oh, man, this is so one worth rewatching. Yeah, yeah. yeah it definitely is, definitely <laughs> is. Speaking of the uncle, what do you guys think of uh, Mr. Creepy Uncle? The character, very well acted, I will say. Definitely by his weird thing what, with... What was his name? Uncle Kozuki? Kozuki, yeah, yeah I believe yeah. so. Definitely by his weird thing with reading pornographic books. Um, <laughs> he had a whole weird sexual underground that I found very bizarre and interesting and curious like just like he has her strapped down and gets whipped but then he also straps the men down and they get whipped by her very odd and there's twists with him where you know it's presumed that the auntie does I mean there's like one where it's like how did the auntie die oh it hanged herself and then you realise that the uncle he dealt with her yeah Probably, yeah, and like, oh, jeez, what did he do to her? <laughs> like, well, you can assume what he did to her by the fact that he has a giant jar in there with a woman's vagina inside of it, and you're like, that was probably her. He's a very monstrous pervert. What did you think about him, Bart? Like, he seems like a character that you would like and or would want to play. <laughs> <laughs> do you think I'd play him well? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a compliment or not? Is the next question. Sure. If you play him well, it's a compliment. If as soon as I so re- good. as soon as I rewatched it and he had that that real first scene of his where he sticks his black tongue out, I'm like, oh, Bartek would love this guy. <laughs> Definitely, one of the things when I want to rewatch it is just to watch him a bit more closely. Yeah, I felt like although he's in the movie, he could be in it a little bit more. I think maybe, are... but then also like I'll be honest, there was one point where. There was a shot of him outside from, like, the perspective of a window, and I actually kind of forgot who he was. Yeah. Just for that one little moment. But his presence is, you know, really Felt. important. Yeah, you know, during the like, readings I, bits. And... Yeah, I, I remember the fact that, like, oh, yeah, there was, there was an uncle that wanted to marry his niece. Yeah. Yeah, and he's obsessed with books. Yeah. As he's, like, pride and joy is, like, literature. Also, there was a scene where he shouted, Snake, snake! <laughs> 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 what did you think about the snake and that whole idea? Was it actually a real? No, it was a statue no, of a snake. They broke. Yeah, the they snake. broke it near the end. Yeah, I, when they when they have that great scene where they're trashing his but whole thing well, and they break first, the snake. When we first see the snake, didn't it move and like no. hiss? No, I could have sworn it did. They I got you, man. It, they think, got you. <laughs> I think it's just that she reacted, and the camera did like a massive like reaction to a still object, making it feel like it was a presence. But yeah. no, it was just sitting there. 
Mm. <laughs> I loved it. I love that he like has this weird system in which he's like, I'm going to put a snake here, and that's where you don't go beyond that point. It's, it's yeah, knowledge he, or whatever. He wants to be special. He doesn't want to say, don't cross the line, don't cross the snake. Which is representative of knowledge, wasn't it? Didn't he say like the snake represents knowledge and you're not allowed to go beyond that point of knowledge? I can't remember the exact thing. And it was great. I loved also... Him watching all the guys watching her read just says a lot. Like, this guy is into voyeurism. Like, he's into hearing it and seeing it, but not actually engaging with it. Yeah, he's like a monstrous pervert who, as monstrous as he is, likes to take it all in kind of passively. Yeah. I did like his death. <laughs> where he's like, it's so beautiful, and he's like clawing at it, and he's like, huh. and he's like, I like the fact that he realized, hey, there's a lot of smoke in here. <laughs> like that's not good. That that last scene with him, it's like if this was you know an American film, that would be played by a guy who'd be like you know out of breath the whole time, like yeah. clearly just on the verge of masturbating. But like the way he was playing, it was like more like fascinated and like very curious, but also like, pervert. Obviously, well, yeah. Perver- the the perversion motivated that fascination. Yeah, it was yeah. A, yeah. I didn't even think about it. Like he really did a great job nailing that balance where it's not just it's not just uh, it's not. Oh, wow, what did you do next? What did it's you do not next? Newman in uh, Basic Instinct <laughs> where Sharon Sh- St- Sharon Stone crosses her legs and he's like sweating and like <gasps> it's not that it's yeah. not Wayne Knight, but it's like <laughs> I like I compared Wayne Knight to this. <laughs> If Wayne Knight was in this movie, how would you feel? <laughs> and he played the and he played the heiress. If he played anyone in this film, interacting with the characters in this film that were still, you know, the same. legitimately mm-hmm. the same characters, <laughs> that would just be a comedy all on its own. Yes, her father wanted to be Japanese. <laughs> you know, like I think her uncle wanted even, to be a Japanese. Even man. if he was written and directed to play it boring, it, I, it would still be funny. Um, I love the uncle. Yeah, this is just a really great movie. Do we have any negatives? No negatives. I just want to point out, as you said before, the when they're throwing the books, when they're breaking all that Ugh. stuff. Amazing scene, amazing score. The score, as I Ugh. mentioned earlier, is really, really good. And you know, I like how the book, the book collection is dead, and so is the uncle. I think that yeah. goes well. So his his existence is his entire existence. Um, is gone, so he should be gone. I also like that we didn't get that scene in the theatrical, at least, where he comes home and he sees what happens and he starts freaking out. We just see him and he's all disheveled and he looks like a mess and he looks like a cartoon villain with yeah. his hair, like, splitter, splitting off in, like, horns and whatnot. And he should have played Heihachi in Tekken. He could have played Heihachi in oh, Tekken. Oh, yeah, he definitely could have. Played. Um, They could have got the guy who played Heihachi in Tekken to be in this. <laughs> but, uh... He like I like that. Uh, don't you, Bartek? That they withheld the moment in which we saw him find out that all of his books were destroyed. We just cut to him, and he's just taken the guy, and he's just like a mess. Mm. Like things are just deteriorating, and he's like it's cutting off like each he's... finger for each book he liked. <laughs> yeah, it was it was almost like is this the same character? But like, no, of course it is. He's playing it the same way almost. Do you have any negatives, Bartek? First viewing it all. Uh, honestly, when I was watching it, I did feel like some scenes went on too long, but from a retrospective point of view, I probably would, wouldn't want to change that. Yeah, mine are just nitpicks, little things, like, and it's the same criticism for both instances, but, like, she drinks 
the poisoned wine and then spews it, like, spits it into his mouth. And I'm like, that's pretty dangerous. Like, I don't know. Like, you have chance of poisoning yourself. Mm. That was, like, just a little thing where I went, ah, I don't know if I would have done it like that. But that, you know, you can let that go. But then the Count is literally smoking in Mercury and he lasts longer than the, than the Duke, than the uncle. Hmm. I don't know how that happened. Like he's literally breathing, like smoking it into himself, and he had two of them. So well, like that's just a nitpick. Like these are nitpicks. Like these are like yeah, sure. Like yeah. ding, cinemason. Like you know, it's a contrivance of stuff that you need it just so that the scenes can play out in a certain way. But it doesn't actually matter. Like you could go. He literally got like a hole bored into his hand. How does his fingers work enough to hold a cigarette? Ding. But like. These are just little things that I just noticed this time around where I went, that could have been done a little differently with the with the wine one, but I'm a bit more forgiving of the wine one than the Mercury cigarettes. But the Mercury cigarettes one is just like, that scene's awesome, and it doesn't matter. Because the scene is just genuinely great, and then the payoff to it all is genuinely great, so it negates, to a certain point, that critique. Yeah, I, I guess for anyone listening to this that either hasn't seen the film or knows someone that they want to recommend it to, if you or that person is watching the film and you feel like you're not into it, it really is worth sticking out to the end so that you can really understand what the film is. I mean, yeah, it is a long one, but yeah, I I do... I can't even think of any major negatives as well. I mean, no. I like the fact that it's in three parts, which is actually just like the novel as well, which is kind of... Um, uh, taught, I'm um, told in that in a similar way with this one. But yeah, because you can kind of, you could theoretically just like watch part one at a time if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, as as a whole, it I just think it's a really good movie, just really good experience. Like it's really smart. I know it's obviously based on like a, um, it's it's an adaptation, but I just think it's really clever and it subverts your expectations and, in a good way. In a good way, absolutely. Hear that, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and I think the ending was really good too. You know, it's you know it gives the audience the ending that it wants, and you kind of want those the uncle and the count are dead, and you and want R two to be in love. Exactly. So it said R two to be in love. R two, D two to be in love. Yeah, R <laughs> two mains to be in love. Yeah, and making love. So you know, it ended the way that you know I think the audience would have, nearly everyone would have been happy with. Well, that's the thing. The director, I've seen his other movies and. He has romance in those movies too, but they're really fucked up romances that often end badly. Uh, like his movie Thirst, which is a vampire movie. So you can determine with it being a vampire movie how it could go awry a romance in a vampire, twisted vampire movie. Just like Vampire's Kiss. Vampire's Kiss. But, or, or, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, it was nice to see this director have a happy ending for a movie. He even said before he finished reading the book that he was like, I'm going to finally make a movie with a happy ending because a lot of them are really fucked up or maybe contemplative but really bittersweet endings. Well, this one is a genuinely, like, happy ending. You leave it feeling happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People die. There was a lot of brutal stuff. There was a lot of mean-spirited moments, but on purpose. But at the end... Love. Love succeeds. Succeeds. Well, I wouldn't yeah. say love wins, but it succeeds. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, I also liked he did a really good job of doing fun transitioning shots, like you know them looking at the the little picture in her locket, and it zooms in, and then it becomes the you know the handmaiden standing in that scene in the same profile, or at the very end zooming on the moon, and the moon becomes 
the artwork that's on the wall in the bedroom that she was sleeping in in the beginning movie. So then, we're, and then the credits roll on that. I also like the song at the end. During the end yeah, credits. that was the a song beautiful was song. great. Yeah, mm. yeah, the music was really great. It wasn't obtrusive. It was just kind of there. Like I can't necessarily remember a key moment where the music really was like like too noticeable. It was just like it just matched the, the, the perfectly. Book, the book destroying scene, definitely. Yeah, it just matched perfectly to to the scenes and the tone of the movie, and that's kind of what we kind of want from a movie like this we don't need the star wars music from revenge of the sith where it's like bombastic and like for a scene in which two people are standing in a cgi wonderland where nothing looks real are you saying you wouldn't want the uh lesbian sex scene to have the darth maul fight music no (laughs) a duel of fates or whatever it is (laughs) whatever it's called i i would love it if they had like the pod pod racing scene The dialogue too. The announcers. <laughs> the dialogue. Greg Proops and the other guy. Sure, whoever they are, get the announcers from Jingle All the Way as well. The Christmas parade from Jingle All the Way. Get them oh yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about with this movie? Any moments or scenes or even questions? I, also, I feel like I should, you know, reiterate which was we're talking about the music before. Once again, at the very start, when uh, you see the big creepy house with the creepy score, mm. but then all those kind of horror elements are mostly gone until the very end. So once again, the movie kind of shapes and evolves as it goes on because you know you don't. Once you're in the house, you don't really need to be creeped out by it anymore for the most part. That's so, true. Yeah, that's what I liked about it at the start. But yeah, I guess the the angry um, housekeeper. Yeah, because I just realized that when you started talking about her at the start, I forgot about her. Yeah, because she's really only in the beginning. Um, she's, showing she's the, lingering, the and then not she's, really that she's much. She's just lingering. She's she's operating the the sex show. Yeah, that she's giving like she's doing the cranks, and then later was, was on, was her name Sakaki? Or was that the uh, I'll was say, that the uncle's wife? I can't remember off the top of my head. But then later on, like in the retrospective scene of like the flashback scene with the auntie, mm. uh, when she tries to run away, and the the housekeeper is the one that shuts the thing on her, and she yeah. does it with delight and glee because that's her revenge moment against her because mm. she got told off earlier. Um, <laughs> Oh, later. I can't remember the exact chronology of that, but like, yeah, like they didn't do too much with it, but I kind of appreciated that. I don't think we needed that more yeah. of her. She was just someone in the house that was also a corrupting element, but we didn't need, like, she would just go on being a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had the scene in which the, the, the house, the, the, the house, the other, one of the other ma- uh, housekeeper chicks who threw her shoe in the rain or whatever got slapped the fuck out. Remember that? Mm. And then it's like, apologize to everyone else. <laughs> and then she's like, if this happens again, so help me. And she's like, fucking hell. <laughs> Was it that I'll strip you all and then throw you out? Yeah. yeah. I, I also did find it really funny just how much swearing there was in this movie. And when it did happen, it was really funny. Like, just, I don't know, really funny to me. Like Just imagining, like, the Korean or the Japanese versions of the words that would appear in the subtitles, you know? <laughs> I loved when she's, like, uh, the handmaiden, when she's finished with the count and she's like, don't ever make me... Touch your pathetic little excuse of a cock, <laughs> <laughs> and just like walks off angrily, and he's just like wounded. He's like, oh. <laughs> like I think it's not little, just a little sigh. And he still got to keep it at the end. So. Yeah, he had it intact, as he yeah. said. Bartek, anything else you want to talk about or bring up, or even have a question about? When the characters were reading the words of penis and vagina and laughed, that was a very relatable moment. <laughs> and then he 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 showed them. 
grabbed what? their faces and kind of shook them around. He was kind of suffocating them too. I yeah. mean, he had, he had it full on. How would you feel if I had my leather-gloved hand just smushing your face? Because I was laughing about Chimpon Monko. Yeah, exactly. How would you feel? Oh, that, oh well, he's doing it now. I'm, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I loved that scene. It was just quiet. It was a quiet abuse. Like, they don't even cry or anything. They just kind of like, okay, back to where we were. Like, that taught them. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I can't think of much else to bring up. I just think, you know, um, it's you know, it's movie. even the, the abusive scenes. I mean, you said yourself, Ryan, they, they're good. They're good scenes. Obviously they're uncomfortable to watch, but you know, they could have gone too far mm. and they didn't. This is a really dark movie and all it goes to some really dark spaces and some really, um, sexually explicit spots as well, but it never feels too much. I don't think it never no. does. No, yeah. it never goes too far. It's not even that violent as well. While the other director's movies are <laughs> violent or gross. Like in Thirst, he, in Thirst, the vampire one, he's a priest who becomes a vampire. And he gets a bowler at the very beginning of the movie. That's like a plot point. And he's playing a flute and he just like coughs up blood. And like out of his flute, just all of this blood is shooting out of his flute. It's so gross. Well, in this, it's like, oh no, an octopus in the background. That's scary. <laughs> um, no, that's it for The Handmaiden. A very good film. One worth watching and re-watching. Hopefully, Bartek, it you get vigored up to watch more Korean cinema, South mm-hmm. Korean cinema. I mean, you can watch North Korean cinema if you, if you yeah, want. Yeah, you could. You're going to watch... I know there's some wacky stuff there. Wacky? I mean, you're going to watch Par- um, Parasite next, I presume. Maybe Burning. Yeah. Who Burning. knows? Um, I guess just quickly, because these movies, both Parasite and Handmaiden, um, I mean, they're different directors who both acclaim South Korean directors. Mm. Um, there are still similarities, and they both have like similar amounts of hype. Yeah. Um, Parasite, a, a little bit more hype, I think. But well, which yeah. do you think is... But I, which 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 do you prefer? I'm actually, I really struggle to decide. I might have to watch Parasite again because they're both so much better on the second viewing. I think viewing. it's a diff, different. It's very hard. They have a lot of similarity in terms of class struggle, politics, and set alone story in a house. Uh, I think it's just different because one feels very, 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 very much a mature movie, and the other one feels like immature in a good way. Like Parasite's a lot more fun. It's a lot more easygoing for general masses. Yeah. Like that one is what you would show to people who don't like foreign movies, and they would enjoy it. I would also same with Old Boy, the, the first Old Boy. That one's like brutal and graphic and mean, but like it's such a great movie that that one, you know, was a big movie for South Korean cinema that even Western people enjoyed. But like Parasite, I don't know. It's like I've seen Handmaiden twice now. I've only seen Parasite once, but I find them both very engaging. It's very hard to pick for some Me reason. Too. When I think of South Korean movies, I've enjoyed Burning is a really good one that uh, that was also very good. It's a lot more atmospheric and slow paced and a lot more ambiguous and a lot more people are either for it or against it. But the acting in that movie is like out of this world. And good. I've seen The Host, which is the Parasite director also did. That's, yeah, a good, yeah. that's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Is that different from the Stephanie Meyer, The Host? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a monster movie. Um, yes. Yeah, there, I remember there was also a lot of hype for this one when that came out as well, The Host. Yeah. Um, so... And also on Netflix, there's a train to Busan, the South Korean zombie movie. That's a really fun one. Yeah, and uh, Bartek, the the guy who did Parasite, he's done a couple of Western movies, uh, uh, Snowpiercer, the one that's set on a train with mm-hmm. Chris Evans, and uh, Okja, which is a fun one. That's on Netflix as well. But uh, 
yeah, that's about it. If you're interested in South Korean movies, just sit down and watch them. They're fun, they're brutal, but overall, they're an interesting film viewing experience. They do cinema very differently, but not too differently. Like, I found myself more engaged with this than I have with, say, Japanese cinema, say? Mm -hmm. I don't know, just me personally. But uh, that's about it. So, Bartek... I'm going to plug all of our stuff, and then you're going to tell us what movie we're covering next week, because it's your pick. Yep. So we can be found on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter under Spit and Polish Presents. Very easy. You can catch us on all the podcatchers available or relevant. Uh, give us a rating and review on those. That would be very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. And like I said, if you have suggestions for future movies to cover, comments on what we've talked about on our episodes, or... Any other kind of things you want to email across, our email is spitandpolished at gmail.com. All of those informations are in the description of our episode. And very easy to find if you can find anything about us online. Exactly. Uh, Stefan, you just have a back catalogue of all podcasty stuff you've done in the, in the past. Both Bartek and I have guested on a few That's of your right. podcast stuff. So I'll just say just quickly, uh, Monster Backstage, which was all the uh, music interviews I did. Mm -hmm. um, check it out where you get your podcast. Lots of great stuff there. Player One Sin, which was the radio show I did last year. And yeah, the Spin and Polish interview is on there. So go to facebook.com forward slash Player One Sin, S-Y-N. And that's from games, right? Yeah, video it's video games. games. And you can get the podcast there, Player One. Is that the one where you had a chill chat with Bartek? Ah, yeah. uh, yes, yes. That, we... was a, that was a spin-off that apparently only lasted one episode, was it? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I came up with a thing called Player One to One where I just talked to people gamers about video games and Bartek and I talked about for nearly 90 minutes actually just about video games and because it was so long it took me like three or four months to finally edit it but I got there just before the end of the year so go check it out and something that I actually forgot about um also Rock Capsule podcast I also did that check that out yeah. but something I forgot is I just did a um podcast for the Humankind podcast so yeah. it's uh I produce an episode it features it's just a you know talk you know get guests on have a chat um, Benjamin Norris or Ben Norris from Big Brother he won Big Brother in uh, 2010 2011 it's comeback season Wow. Yeah. so um, I'm not really much a reality TV guy but Ben Norris is a very nice guy so I edited that episode so look up the Humankind podcast and check out that episode fun mm. so that's all of our stuff except for Bartek mm -hmm. what are we covering next episode is it another Bollywood movie no, but you remember how last time I said what my film was, I called it a childhood classic and then I backpedaled because it was like, oh, it was late childhood. This one, more genuine, a childhood classic of mine. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and I'm, pr I'm pretty sure you've seen it because we've talked about it. Uh, it's the 1998 film Small Soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen Small Soldiers, dude. Mm -hmm. One of Phil Hartman's last movies. Yeah. Phil's back. So Small Soldiers from, what was it, 1998? Yes. So we'll be covering that. That'll be a fun one. It'll be a trip down memory lane. Yeah, for see, me. Yeah. See, see the CGI not age well. Um, see, what were they called? The the good guy toys? The Gorgons? The Gorgonites. The Gorgonites? The Gorgonites, I'm pretty sure. I'm sure we'll be wrong. Chip Hazard versus the Gorgonites? Yeah, and it wasn't it I think Tommy Lee? Isn't Tommy Lee Jones? I think it's Tommy Lee Jones' <laughs> as Chip Hazard. Wow, I'm uh, we're going to be covering Small Soldiers. Wow, this is, this is a trip I down memory lane. I've not seen it in a while. I th I think it's been way over a dozen years since I've we'll seen see it. If it. Over half my we'll life We'll see if it's ago. an unappreciated masterpiece, if it holds up. I've seen it so many times it's when I was a child, but I haven't seen it since. We'll find out if our favourite character is still our favourite character or not. So if we have one... Oh, man. 
did you uh, we'll talk about it in the episode <laughs> next week but i was like oh man which toy out of them did you want the most mm. i don't know it's still a wrestling match so we'll be covering that next episode so i guess until next time listening people remember to be kind to each other don't you know have a basement filled with severed genitalia or an octopus, especially the octopus. That's a. It was trying to get out of the tank at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty scary. I wanted to know what it wanted to do. It wanted to write a best selling novel. <laughs> That's what it wanted to write with all eight of its arms. Yeah, and it would do it eight times as fast as everyone else that won a best novel because it has more tentacles. And it, and what, okay, more than if an zero. octopus <laughs> that lived in a sex dungeon wrote a novel, best selling novel, what would the novel be about? I don't know. What would Squidward write about? (laughs) (laughs) It would just be Death of a Salesman. That's what it would be. Just a tragic life of one middle-aged guy. That's what the octopus would write about. So until next time, listening people, remember to check out Death of a Squidward Man. (laughs) In Japanese, it's uh, octopus's taco, I believe. Taco? Taco. T-A-K-O. And in Polish? Octopus? Fuck, have I ever known what it was in Polish? <laughs> <laughs> Bartek, spin Polish where one of us knows Japanese. <laughs> <laughs>